If you would take your Bibles and turn to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 4 today. If you're using that pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1067. Jonah chapter 1, picking up in verse 4. We will stand in just a few moments and read that. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. I started working a full-time job my freshman year in high school, and uh, that continued on, and I was working a full-time job in college where I worked evenings late into the early mornings, and then I would get up and take classes as early as I could get them so that I could spend time in the afternoons studying before I went to work later in the afternoon and into the next evening. Well, I remember my freshman year of English literature class. It was in my freshman year. I remember being in class, being rudely awakened by a professor. Can you believe it? I was asleep in his class, and he bothered to wake me up. And he walked over to me, and he said, Mr. Rasnick, and he woke me up, and it was not, I was not the only person in the class, so everybody else was watching this. He said, Mr. Rasnick, if we give you a part to read in this story, do you think you might be able to stay awake? I said, I will try. Yes, sir. And I got a part. But I had fallen asleep in class. It was not my intention to fall asleep in class. It was just a culmination of the choices that I had made, of the decisions that I had made, of the circumstances that I was under, and I just fell asleep. I did research this week, and I read an article in Christian Today, not Christianity Today, but Christian Today magazine from July 2018, and the article was titled this, Four reasons why even the most faithful believers fall asleep during worship. The article referenced Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12, and it's in this passage that Paul brings back Eutychus back from the dead. And if you go back and you read this, Paul was preaching, and Paul was preaching, and Paul was preaching, and Eutychus was sitting in the window and got late at night, Scripture says, and he fell asleep and fell out the window and died when he hit the ground. I'm just glad I wasn't sitting in a window in class that day. Because Paul went down and brought him back to life. And I'm not sure that Paul was a bad preacher. And so one of the things I did not find, it is possible that Eutychus fell asleep because Paul was just horrible at what he was doing. I don't think that that's the issue. But the four reasons this article gave after referencing someone falling asleep during Paul, the apostle's sermon, gave these four reasons why even faithful believers fall asleep during worship. Number one reason why people fall asleep during worship when you're faithful is they love God. And I read that and I'm going... I'm going to have to keep reading on because I don't necessarily get that from the beginning. They love God. Here's the thing that says that they love God. They haven't slept well. They are um, 
on medication. They just got off work. It would have been much easier for them just to stay at home and skip church altogether, but their love for God and His people caused them to come to church and try as they might, their love for God still caused them to fall asleep. But do you get why they came? Now, I don't know if you're here today because I don't, I don't, maybe somebody here is fighting sleep already. You know, I've got good ears. Every now and then, I can tell somebody's asleep. But sometimes people fall asleep in church, and they're faithful believers because they love God. They're going, I'm not letting anything stop me. Even the fact that I just got off work, I'm coming on. I thought that was an interesting perspective. Number two, they're out of gas from an overly busy schedule. These people should likely prioritize their time so that their worship does not get the leftovers. You know, I talk to people why they aren't in church sometimes, and I go, well, Saturday's my busy, busy day, and then Sunday is when I really have to rest. Their schedules are too full, so they're out of gas. Number three reason sort of hurt my feelings just a little bit. It said the preacher rocks them to sleep. I read this quote, said that a preacher should, should put some fire in his sermon or he should put his sermon in the fire. <laughs> now, I've understand, I've, I've taken public speaking classes. I know you need to change your inflection. I know you need to move around a little bit. I know you need to have a little humor. I can try all the things about it. It is never my desire on a Sunday morning to rock you to sleep. One of the reasons I, one of the things I do to not rock, not put you in a position to be rocked to sleep is I try not to use many of my own words. I try to make sure that it's the Word of God that is front and central that can motivate and drive us to stay in tune with Him. But I do owe it to you to prepare and be accountable, be passionate, be convicted about the message that I'm bringing. Number four. They forget their audience. We need to remember and recognize that when in worship, there's just an audience of one. Choir, you weren't singing to this group. You're singing to the Lord. Church, you weren't singing because the music led you. You were singing to the Lord. They forget who their audience is, and so therefore they get demotivated. Just imagine if you all of a sudden realize that God has something for you this morning, and you know it's coming, and you believe it's coming because His Word has promised you it's coming. Wouldn't you just sit up and wait on it? We forget. Audience of one. Church, I believe that this morning I'm preaching exactly what God wants me to this morning. And I pray that you have loved, I pray that you love God, that you have prioritized this time, that you remember you're here for God above all things. And it is my goal to make sure that you do not fall asleep today. Part serious and part funny. I ask you to stand with me. We're going to read from the book of Jonah, verses 4 through 10 is where we're going to read. Jonah chapter 1, picking up in verse 4, says this, 
But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. Church, I'd like to start with what we know has happened just prior to this scripture. And I'm not re-preaching last week. I'm just going to remind you what we know. We know that Jonah is a prophet of God. We know that Jonah has had an effective relationship as a prophet of God in the past. We know that Jonah has, that God has spoken to Jonah again. We know that Jonah understands what God is asking him to do. We know that Jonah is rebelling against God. And we know because it told us last week that Jonah is seeking to get away from the presence of the Lord. And we talked last week how Jonah had a bad attitude. Let me remind you of our series question, the question that every week we're going to face ourselves with. And last week you heard it three times. You'll hear it a couple of times at least today. Does your heart match the heart of God as it relates to the salvation of all peoples? We know that in this moment, as we approach verse 4 of Jonah chapter 1, Jonah's heart does not match God's heart for people to come to be saved through Jesus. Today we pick up and we'll see what happens next. So we just read verses 4 through 10. Verse 4 says, but the Lord. In verse 4, we begin to see God responding to Jonah's rebellion. If you are a child of God, I'll just go ahead and state this clearly, and you may know this because you've, you've tried, or you may heed the warning of somebody who's tried and not. God will not allow you to rebel as his child and get away with it. So verse 4 says, But the Lord begin to see God's response to Jonah's rebellion. And in verse 4 it says that, the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. Certain translations and certain words used there tell us from word studies that God hurled a great wind at the sea. God is throwing things. That's what it says. And he threw this great wind. Verse 4 says there was a mighty tempest that God hurled at the sea. So the sea feels the impact of the wind that the Lord has hurled at the sea. Verse 4 says that the sea then takes that impact and casts it against the ship. And verse 4 tells us that the ship 
is about to be broken up. The sea, due to the wind, is now attacking the boat. Verse 5 goes on to say that the mariners, because of this series of events, were afraid. Now, let's just define the mariners for our topic today. The mariners were everybody on the boat not named Jonah, the prophet of God. Now, how do you know that there weren't anybody else on the boat? Well, everybody seems to be accounted for as we've read in the Scripture, right? They're afraid. And verse 5 says that out of their fear, every man cried out to his, notice church in your Scripture, his little g, God. Now, I don't know about you, but I was raised, I was taught that God was a proper name. And when I type it in my notes, it's always capital G-O-D when I'm talking about God Almighty. When I talk about Jesus, capital J. When I talk about the Lord, capital L. My computer will let me be lowercase, but it learns, and it fixes it every now and then, but I always go back. It's not enough that, well, Jeff, nobody's going to see your notes. Well, I think it's important that every time I reference God, I reference Him appropriately, and I always give Him a capital letter when I'm talking about God. But it's also something you need to remember that here in Scripture, at least in my Bible right here, and I know in the Pew Bibles, that these men cry out to their little G God. Church, can I remind you for just a second that when the storms of life hit, everybody is impacted. And when you're impacted by the storms of life, you're always looking for help. And notice that while these men are crying out to their little G God, they weren't crying out to God Almighty. They were crying out to whatever they had created, formed, believed, thought was their little g God. And the point here is, they were crying out. They were just crying out to the wrong God. And that's an important thing for us to understand. You see, in the world today, I believe that people that are not seeking big G God, Lord Almighty, Jesus as Savior, I don't believe that they're walking through life with no need. I believe that they are turning to whatever it is they think is the answer to help meet their need. And so when we look at them, we should refrain from looking at them as somebody who's just not smart. But we should look at them as someone that's ignorant. And ignorant is not a negative word. It's someone who just does not know about big G God. But church, I want to challenge us that when you run into somebody who's turning someplace besides God for their help, that's an opportunity. Because this scripture tells us that those little G gods didn't help them. Right? So let's talk about this just a little bit. I just think that's important. They have a need. You ever heard somebody, you know, everybody tries to fill this hole in their life with everything but that hole is a Jesus-sized hole. 
And Jesus is the only one that will make a life complete. It doesn't keep people from trying. Verse 5 says that they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the load. So their little G God, the only thing they got from their little G God is throw everything out. Just give up. Throw everything out. Try to last as long as you can. You know, that's all a little G God will ever do. There is no answer that comes from a little G God. But Jonah was asleep, we're told in Scripture, in the bottom of the ship. Now, I don't know how many floors down he was, but there's not a place on that ship that is immune to the impacts of the storm. So this captain, who's challenged everybody already to pray to their little G God in the hopes of help, this captain comes to Jonah and wakes him up. He was asleep in the storm, asleep, and he wakes him up. And he says, what are you doing sleeping? Arise, call on your, and this is where in my Bible anyway, the little G becomes a big G. This captain doesn't know it yet, but we're referencing God Almighty whom Jonah served. And he says this, call on your God, Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Pay special attention to the encouragement or the challenge that the captain gave to Jonah because it looks pretty similar to the call that God gave Jonah. Hey, go to Nineveh and tell them about me so perhaps they come to know me and trust me. The captain said, perhaps God will be gracious. Church, we need to recognize that God is not obligated to save anybody. Scripture teaches that it is God's grace that caused him to love us, that caused him to send a Savior so that we might have the opportunity. I don't struggle, as I've mentioned to you not that many weeks ago, I don't struggle with why, how God would send someone to hell for their rebellion against him. What I struggle with is why God would save someone like me. He desires to save. God doesn't have to. He desires to save. So when he's sending Jonah to Nineveh, it's because he loves those people and desires them to come to know him. Nineveh, full of rebels. This ship, full of little G-God-seeking rebels. Jonah, rebel, running from God. Remember last week I told you that I once lived in Nineveh? Rebel. You see, when you're not living for God, you're living a rebellious life away from God. And I found myself in common with them. The gospel is to all rebels. All who will call upon the name of the Lord. God's message to Jonah was similar to the message of Nineveh. They need to turn to the Lord. And it is interesting. God is turning. I'll try to, I don't have this written down and I've said it Zeke and I were talking about it earlier this week. 
But it's an interesting thing how God will use the unrepentant to wake up the repentant so that the repentant can repent and therefore appropriately lead the unrepentant to repentance. You guys keep up, keep up with that? God says, listen, I'm going to use these sailors who don't even know me to speak into your life so that I can use you to speak into their life so that they can call upon me. Very, very cool thing that God does right there. Verse 7 says that they come said to one another, let us cast lots that we may know who is causing this trouble. Now, I want to talk about lots for just a second. In biblical times, lots were used in various ways to determine or discern the divine will. It was a common practice used by believers and non-believers. God even ordained the use of lots, and I'll give you this, Leviticus 16, Numbers 26, Joshua 14, 1 Samuel chapter 10 are just some examples. In the New Testament, lots were used by the disciples to determine who would replace Judas as the new disciple. I said that that lot fell to Matthias. Now, we're not exactly sure what they were. I wrote down on a piece of paper, how could you do it? Well, it could be dice-type things. Could be spinning type things. They could have rock, paper, scissored. I don't know. But there is a process here. And let me tell you what I believe, what I believe Scripture teaches, what I hope you believe is that we don't believe in luck. We don't believe in chance. We don't believe in fate. We believe in a sovereign, providential God. And while lots were used, these lots are not anti-God, these lots are being used by a sovereign God to bring about His purpose. And His purpose in this moment to bring these unbelievers to be used by God, they say, hey, let's cast lots. And they did, and it pointed to Jonah as being the cause of the problem. Proverbs 16, 33. You might want to write this down as it relates to lots. Here's what it says. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. God used these mariners and the lot process to bring Jonah to accountability. Verse 7 says that Jonah is determined to be the one to blame. Verse 8, they asked Jonah a series of questions seeking to determine why. And what the cause of all this trouble is for. What's your occupation? Where are you from? What is your country? Of what people are you? I started to teach. Do you know that if you want to take this to, when you read the book of Jonah this week, the book of Jonah could actually follow the steps of 14 questions asked in the book of Jonah. And if you just stop and answer them all, you'll get a lot of understanding. You may want to do that in your personal study of the book of Jonah as well. Jonah answers in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah's going, I know why this is happening. God's doing it. Verse 10, 
this. These men were afraid of the storm. But think about this. When you go and read verses 4 through 10 in context, in the storm, they were afraid. And so they said everybody should cry out to their little G God. They find out that Jonah serves God Almighty who's hurling the sea, the wind at the sea, and the sea at the boat, and the boat is now about to break. This doesn't make them afraid. This makes them, based on Scripture, exceedingly afraid. Church, we need to understand that no matter what happens to a man in his circumstances in life, storms, fears, physical issues, things, whatever, falling into the hands of a holy God is more important. This world is afraid of the wrong things sometimes. They should be afraid of standing before an almighty God. And it says that these men were exceedingly afraid. And they said this, why have you done this? Now, this could be in a couple of, they could go, why have you done this? Why have you brought this onto us? That could be one way they said it. Or it could be, you serve God, you love God, you're a prophet of God, you're a Hebrew, you're part of his people. But you've told us you're running from his presence. Why would you do that? Can you see how both of those are probably appropriate questions? The second one, probably the most stinging. Why? Why would you run from the God you serve? You see, Jonah, verse 10, says that he had told them he was fleeing from the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 tells us that we need to be ready for the questions that people will ask us about the hope that is in us. So last week, we discussed Jonah having a wrong attitude. Church, today, I want to summarize. I'm going to go back just quickly about having how, how having the wrong attitude toward God leads us to loss. L-O-S-S. So let's just think for just a second as we walk back through just these verses. Loss number one. Jonah lost the voice of God. Did you notice in verses one through three, God is speaking to Jonah. Jonah hears God and Jonah rebels. Verse four says, but God, I'd be going, and God said, don't you do it, boy. But that's not what happened. What did God do? God said, I'm not saying anything else to him. I'm going to hurl a wind at the sea, hurl the sea at the boat, and I'm going to break that thing apart. I'll get his attention. He stopped speaking to Jonah. Think about this. Keep reading. And if you're going, well, I want to check that out. Well, go read the whole book and find out what causes God to begin to speak to Jonah again. Because God stops speaking to him. Do you know when we rebel against God? We won't hear his voice. The Spirit will try to call us back. But God, Scripture teaches that God was silent. Sometimes God just stops talking. Now, I'll tell you this. In my life growing up, whether it was in my 
parental life with me being the kid or whether it was me being the parent or whether it was me being the husband, when the word stopped at home, that was one of the worst feelings ever. You guys ever had that argument? When the next thing you know, it's three days later, nobody said a word, and you've almost forgotten what you argued about to begin with. Silence is so hard. And Jonah lost it, lost the voice of God. God's throwing things at him now instead. Number two, we lose our, or he lost, I think we can probably bring it on to us, right? We lose our spiritual awareness. Note that while the storm was raging on a boat full of people who do not know or trust God, that the prophet of God goes down in the bottom and goes to sleep. He didn't seem to care and was just glad to be getting away from it all. Church, can I tell you and remind you that your sin does not only impact you. Your sin impacts others. And when you, as a child of God, get caught up in your sin, thinking that it's your issue alone, you have stopped being spiritually aware, loving people, allowing God to use you to draw them to Him. Said differently, church, it matters how you live. Jonah was physically asleep and had become spiritually asleep as well. Ephesians 5.14 says this, For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Romans 13.11 says this, Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. And Proverbs 6.9 says this, How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? All of those scriptures are saying spiritual slumber is not godly. So he lost the voice of God and he lost his spiritual awareness. And look at verse, or look at loss number three. We lose the power of prayer. Remember Jonah, wake up, wake up, why are you sleeping? Call on your God and perhaps he will consider us and save us. Jonah was called to pray. Now, we're not given these next statements, so I have to allow for both. Either Jonah did not pray, therefore God did not answer, or Jonah attempted to pray, but because of his still unrepentant rebellion, God did not answer. And how do we know that this is true? Because after this verse, the storm rages on. Lost the power of prayer. Either outcome, either not praying or praying and the answer not coming, is a prayer life that's ineffective. Psalm 66, 18. Church, if you're going to write anything down, this might be the verse right here. says this. 
If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Maybe you've got something that you're passionately praying for and you're not seeing anything happen. Perhaps it's because you're regarding iniquity. You know that you're also dabbling in things that aren't what God would have you to do. Scripture says you can't have both. So lost the voice of God, lost his spiritual awareness, lost the power of prayer. Loss number four, we lose our witness as we damage our testimony. Recall Jonah claimed to be a follower of the Lord, but yet shared that he was seeking to flee from the presence of the face of his Lord. This is hypocritical, it's inconsistent, and it's confusing. Recall, as I mentioned to you in verse 10, the sailors' response upon hearing this testimony from Jonah. They said, why would you do this? It makes no sense to them, and therefore it hurt Jonah's witness of the Lord to them. And church, this is tragic, because these men are the men that we know don't know the Lord because they're praying to little g God. The same is true for us. If we're asleep, we don't hear the voice of God. When we're asleep, we lose our spiritual awareness. When we're asleep, we lose the power of prayer. And when we're asleep... We damage our testimony. People can't, can't hear about the Lord, the God who loves them so much. And as we exit verse 10 today, Jonah is still running from the presence of the Lord. You're going, Jeff, so we're still going to end today and he's on the boat? Yep. You notice he's still on the boat. What he also noticed about his heart, he's in the storm dragging other people down with him, and he's not yet repentant. He's losing and losing and losing and may not even recognize it. Church, does your heart match the heart of God as it relates to the salvation of all peoples? You see, a heart that matches God's to see people come to know Jesus We'll hear and obey the voice of God. We'll stay spiritually and actively aware. We'll have a powerful and active prayer life. And we'll maintain a positive witness to the lost. Amen? And that's where we leave Jonah. We're going, Jeff, I thought Jonah was just about a fish. We're getting there. But hopefully what the Lord is teaching all of us along the way is that there's a whole lot more to the book of Jonah than a fish. Right now, we're leaving a man of God, rebelling from God, taking other people down with him, and not really caring. You're going, Jeff, well, that's a depressing way to end a sermon. Okay, well, let's end it differently. 
What happens if someone turns to God who's lost these things? It can all change, right? Well, we're going to get to Jonah, but there's no reason for you to waste a week until we get there. If the Spirit of God is reminding you through the Word of God today that you might be asleep in the bottom of the boat as it relates to how God would have you to live, you could do something about it today. You don't have to stay separated from God. You can regain all that you've lost with God. Remember last week, I think I was standing about right here, and I said that in this world, we many times have to retrace our steps, but with God, if we will just turn to Him, He will be right there. Can I tell you that wherever you find yourself right now, having seen loss come from bad attitude, God is right there ready for you to turn to Him. And I pray that you will for a number of reasons. But as I just need to remind you of this one point before we have the invitation. We're going to come and do the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. Scripture teaches that you want to have an appropriately examined heart before you participate. And if you find yourself in the bottom of the boat asleep spiritually, and you know what I just said because we just spent the last few minutes talking about it, you and God got some work to do between now and the Lord's Supper. And I don't encourage people to do anything but obey Scripture. But if you and God have not yet appropriately fixed this time, I'm going to encourage you. Don't take it. You see, Scripture says that when we take it, take it, the Lord's Supper, inappropriately before Him with the wrong attitude, the wrong heart, it hurts us. So I pray today that you will allow the Lord in this time to help you Make whatever decision you need to make. Amen.